Welcome to the Road Less Traveled, listeners. I am your host, DB, and today's episode is going to be about that first week that I was in prison camp, which kind of sounds weird. It makes it sound almost like a, I don't know, a retreat, a, uh, I don't know, a fun experience. It was a lot better. It was a lot better than prison. It was a lot better than jail. Um, but don't get me wrong. Like there were correctional officers there. We were counted uh, multiple times a day for our presence, and uh, we did not have the option in participating in the work or, or the jobs that they had there. That was the intention and purpose of the entire camp. Like the reason for its creation was to employ. Uh, more or less, or also get like very uh, cheap labor uh, out of inmates. But it's a to me, it was a good exchange. Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I actually have to talk about the camp. So uh, without giving like the actual location and whatnot, again, trying to stick to anonymity here, uh, the camp was only, it only housed 360 inmates, at least the one that I was at. Uh, in our state, there are several camps, or, or otherwise known as minimum security facility, uh, that allowed um, you know different programs or what have you. Say like you know my state, this is where you also make the license plates for the state. That was uh, the camp that I was at. I didn't participate in that job. Uh, that was actually a pretty highly coveted job because it actually paid uh, pretty well. It was like $2 an hour or something like that. Um, you know, pretty monotonous job, fairly uh, normal job. That was actually a very important thing about the uh, camp for me, just hoping to get there one day was just kind of the more routine, the more normal outside of, uh, you know, a regular prison, a maximum security uh, facility prison because I never went to medium. I everyone goes to maximum for classification purposes, and then you get held there for however long while you're hoping to go down the levels towards a minimum security uh, place, and then you would hope to go to say transitional housing or just to parole at that point. I'm gonna take a sip of my Red Bull, by the way, because these are kind of informal. These are like digital diaries. These are more. Uh, purposed for myself although you know a lot of people are listening feedback's been good uh keep sharing if you guys can or liking whatever subscribing like that but yeah it's been good i've been enjoying doing these um they've been turning out okay so thanks for joining in anyway so the first uh, week that I got to this minimum security facility, it was incredible because the bus ride was horrible. And that was the episode that I did last. Very awesome experience. Uh, would recommend if you ever get the chance to do it. But so I got to this minimum security facility and you kind of get like that first week to decompress. Um, you have to await seeing your caseworker there because everything's just handled by caseworkers. You do like intake, outtake, uh, movement, all this, like every single thing is facilitated by those caseworkers. And they're already overwhelmed trying to field just a dozen, if not hundreds of stupid <laughs> requests from other inmates wondering like, hey, when am I going to be released? When am I going to get to do this? Uh, can I have whatever? 
Um, so you, you know, fill out what's known as a kite, you submit it, drop it in a box, caseworker gets back to you, hopefully, uh, within the next several months, uh, if at all. But anyway, so you're beholden to that. I spoke on previous episodes how I was very thankful that uh, I just happened to meet my caseworker in prison, get classified fairly quickly, and a bed opened up for me at a minimum security facility. took about four months, maybe closer to five, uh, for that whole process to go through and me to get transferred. But meanwhile, I'd already done two years in jail awaiting sentencing. So that's kind of my timeline. Like when I get to this minimum security place, I'm about two and a half years into my sentence, Uh, you know, which is a pretty good chunk of time. I'd been sentenced to six to 20 years because my state uses indeterminate sentencing. So at this minimum, uh, minimum security facility, I'd already known that there was basically a 99% chance that I would be um, classified into the fire crew that we had at this camp. Um, not sure if you guys know, but um, there's a lot of inmate firefighting crews out there, uh, wildland firefighting crews uh, specifically. We don't go into structures. We're not doing houses. You know, they don't want us in the thick of the community. But it is okay to send us out into the wild um, mostly. And I don't want to like spoil. This is going to be a future episode, but, you know, it's 95 plus percent of the time we're just doing mop up, you know, we're showing up, fire's usually already burned out. We're just kind of cleaning up, containing it, making sure it's like fully out, fully suppressed, just getting eyes on it. And then, yeah, we're still getting in there with tools. We're still wearing our fire packs and our full fire gear and everything. And we're just ensuring like stomping out the little flames and whatnot. However, there is that 5% of the time where shit gets real. But I'll speak in that in the future. Those episodes should be super fun. I have tons of stories for that one. Or those, there will be multiple. But so I got here for this first week. You know, I the setup of this minimum uh, security. God, I hate saying that so many times. I'm just saying the camp at this point again. So the setup of the camp, you got five units that are stylized as military barracks. So in that very long hallway style, um, everything in this place is kind of rustic. Uh, there's like a barn that serves. Uh, as our gym, but also where the firefighting crews uh, muster in the mornings, Monday through Friday, because they get pulled out to do forest uh, projects also, or like highway beautification, resource stuff um, on the, when, you know, there's no fires going on, there's always the off season. And so I'll speak in depth on those uh, later on, but uh, so the gym was also used as a place for muster uh, for jobs because the camp is set up as a working camp. So that's where those people would go. Uh, You'd also have the uh, COs or correctional officers main office, which uh, served as kind of a check in and check out because people that say worked at the tag plant, for example, or got pulled out to do parks and rec, uh, things like that, where they went out to pick up garbage or uh, clean up areas, what have you, go into the community to work, they would have to check out at the CO's office and then get picked up in a van uh, by their, you know, crew boss and then taken out. Uh, and I also did that for a small period of time. So I will get to speak on that as well. Um, and then if, then you have your cafeteria, you know, kind of standard, uh, jail prison type cafeteria. 
Uh, you got your metal benches, which are, uh, you know, secured to tables. Everything's welded to the floor, more or less. So that's fairly standard. Uh, then you had, uh, which this made me so happy. I could talk about this for uh, just an entire episode, too. There was actually a library. There was a library there. It was a little bigger than, you know, a janitor's closet, but it had shelves. It was like three or four uh, shelves tall, maybe a five even, and just rows and rows of books. Now, I don't want to speak it up too much, like, because to me, I'm still getting excited because that was my escapism from all the terrible people around me. The horrible situation was delving into these stories, these books. Uh, so that helped a great amount of time. Uh, and then I also... And this, again, future episodes, but got to play Dungeons and Dragons in the gym, uh, which super fun, something I'd already played in the past, um, had a great time with the people that I was with, and it really helped, uh, you know, again, establish routine, some escapism, camaraderie, and normalcy. That was helpful. But... Uh, yeah, anyway, so the library, like, don't get disillusioned. There was a wide selection of books. However, you got to keep in mind, most of the people in prison, quite filthy. Uh, they're taking those books to read in the bathroom. They're just, you know, they're not even washing their hands. Shit's hella dirty. Uh, a lot of the books were in disarray because they, uh, you know, simple mindset or junkie mindset even. Sorry if that's insensitive, but drug addict mindset, you know, simplest solution. Is my bunk a little wobbly? Fuck it, rip this book in half and just shove a little piece in there until it doesn't wobble anymore. Do I need to create body armor? Yes, guess what? You can also do that with books. Rip those up, pad your inside of your clothing enough so when the taser prongs of you know a CO, since you're trying to fight or do whatever you're doing, it's going to deflect taser prongs. That's why they don't allow hardcovers inside prison. At least one of the reasons. Uh, another one would be you can, I guess, fold it enough times to uh, use as a shiv handle for whatever. Like maybe you just have jagged uh, piece of metal. Well, now you got a handle for that metal. Good for you. But the library did have a ton of books, tons of books. Um, and I did finish finally typing up the entire list of books that I read. While I was in prison, it is a super, super, super long list. I have some fun standout ones, and I'll talk about that later too. So moving on, um, there's a track and field, which was great. This I spent so many time, so many hours on that track and field, not just alone, you know, in my mind, or also jogging, trying to get healthy, uh, but just having like just walk and talks with the few people that I connected with there or at least trusted enough to open up or even talk to because, you know, prison, it's, it's a very small community. Even if you don't want to be a part of that community, like we all live in this world. So even if you feel like you're only the small part and you don't, you're not part of the greater whole, well, you are like, you are just part of the community. Sorry. If you live here, you are, and we're all intersecting. And that's why things are starting to bounce off of each other. Like there's a lot of people out there and a lot of conflicting uh, perspectives. So um, I was integrated into this, you know, environment that I had no control over, could not get away from. 
uh, couldn't get away from the people. So I tried to keep everything very neutral. But there were a few people that were worth talking to because, you know, you can't simply do it alone. Not just for like the physical part that makes sense, like you need some people to have your back, uh, but also the mental and emotional side of things. Like I was able to open up uh, to a few people and they know who they are. There's a couple that I still talk to to this day. I mean, it's very seldom. It's like little check ins here and there. I mean, I've also worked with these people while I was in prison. So, I mean, most of the officers understand, like, (laughs) with all intents and purposes, you can't fraternize with these people. However, if you work with them, what it just, I mean, you know, there's going to be conflicting things that come up. So, I keep it within the bounds of what is allowed. But... Honestly, there were so many people who were like, throughout your whole prison experience, they all just act like you're their friend. Most of them have no problem ripping you off because most of them want to borrow stuff from you or use stuff from you because maybe they have less than you. And I mean, it's just, it's natural. It's, you don't really blame them. They're just used to that way. So every one of them seemed to say like, hey, uh, you know, when I get out, I'll put money on your books. I'll stay in contact. Did not care to hear from most of those people anyway, so did not matter. Most of the times, did not give them any information. There was like maybe two or three people that were out of the five years worth of people that I met. Put that into perspective. Like two to three. Oh, my cat's making some noise. I had to lock her up in the room. Sorry. Thankfully, she's not meowing yet. But so there was only like maybe two to three people that were worth keeping in contact with. So I spent a lot of time on that track, that little track and field, uh, which I think it was like a little less than a mile around or something like that. Or maybe it was like a quarter mile. I don't actually know. But we would just talk. It had a beautiful view. Like you had a few like gorgeous mountains that you could see, a lot of open field, um, forests off in the distance. It was nice. It was it was pretty cool. Um, and at times it would just be like not as loud as prison. Like you weren't in a concrete room where everything just reverberated and you were just in an echo chamber that you couldn't escape, which is people that you could not like get out of your mind. Just spouting the just most annoying stuff in the world or just screaming sometimes no words just screaming for whatever reason all the time uh it was horrible but so anyway it was like that the track and field was a decompression spot it was a place where you got to talk about some of the worst stuff that you were going through because sometimes shit just happened the real world continued outside without you and there was just nothing you could do other than maybe talk it out or just, you know, bottle up those feelings and turn it into cancer later. Like those were the only things that you could do. So thankfully I was able to connect with those few people and, you know, just, just talk it out. Just be like, dude, this is what I'm going through. This is what I have no control over. This is what I wish I could do. And sometimes maybe it just sounded like you were stuck on repeat, but for us, there was no resolution. There was no way 
to fix or do anything. So you just had to wait for something to resolve itself or watch maybe possibly someone self-destruct out there because you can't help or whatnot. I've, I saw like, these weren't people that I was acquainted with in there, but you saw people, and this is what I mentioned, I think one or two episodes ago, the short timer syndrome. A lot of people, when they're like getting closer to getting out, seem to develop this syndrome that everyone called short timer syndrome, because you get like real antsy and you really want to just get out. Cause I don't know if it's part of, you just feel like you're already there. Like what's the difference between this amount of time? And like, it's only a month or the fear of, man, I don't know if I can handle this or whatever. So it's the sense or false sense rather of, I guess, freedom possibly. But I've seen a lot of people like, oh, only a few more weeks. And then they hear something about their family member is like in trouble. So they go off running, escaping, uh, trying to connect with their family or be there for them or whatnot. Uh, or the opposite, like a few weeks away from getting out, knowing you're going to get drug tested because they that's what they do. They don't just drug test you. They also um, do like an STD check because they want to ensure like during intake, when you first came in, you were cleared. And then as you were passed from facilities, you were cleared. And so obviously on the your outtake or getting kicked, released, they're going to do the same thing. So you see people like getting high around you because no, people do not hide shit at all in prison. Like they think they're sneaky and they're like doing it in the corner where it's the most obvious. <laughs> so you see these people that are very short time from being able to go right back to their little games already doing it on the inside. It doesn't make sense. So saw that a lot at uh, the minimum security facility because there was no barbed wire. There was only a like chain link fence. And that was only like near the office because you could just walk away from the track and field. There was just nothing out there. Like you can just go walk off in the distance, go to the you know nearest town, which we were already pretty close to one anyway. So you could just kind of go there. It happened, you know, happened occasionally. Or you're going to go out into the world for your job, probably. You can just walk away from there if you want. Happened all the time. Guess what? Every one of them got caught. Also going to happen all the time. That first week of uh, camp, it was just so interesting because I, it was like culture shock. Like if you've ever done a significant life change, like a significant move, which I would consider my whole life, which I brought on by myself, uh, being upheaved like that. Like, okay, now you're going to, you know, go from having everything to having like nothing. You have the clothes on your back and whatever's you can fit in your little drawer, which usually ramen was like one of my prized possessions. And then like paper and uh, little tiny pens. That was like my existence. And if I had a bag of coffee too, all the better for it. Uh, But that was more or less uh, everything I had for um, those first two years. And I knew, so this is going to sound fucked up, but uh, I had an ailing family member, my uh, aunt, who I had taken care of at the time, uh, since she was in poor health before I was incarcerated. Uh, Thankfully, you know, another family member stepped in to help uh, after I was gone. um, And then my aunt did end up passing away 
during that period. So we, she would put money on my account and some of it would be from, you know, the savings that I used up or the payout of, you know, whatever job I had at the time. So I cashed out all that stuff. Um, but I just knew like, I would not be able to sustain this amount of money. And I really, really hated asking for stuff. I like, I'm a prideful dude. Like I know I can work for stuff. That's, you know, you work, you get money. That's it. It's very simple. And I'd always done that in the past. And now I was in a position where I had no means of doing those things. And it just fucking, it was the worst having to like ask uh, for help because I felt like a burden and I felt like, I don't know, like I already was ashamed of how like I would be viewed and how um Cause I, you know, I know they're my family. I know they're my friends. Uh, so it's just a very conflicting, illogical way of looking at it because I know they love and support me, but I don't want to also then, uh, I don't know, great on that. I don't even really know how to say this, but like, I just, like I said, I didn't want to be a burden. I, I had already, I'd done all those things before I'd established myself. And now here I was, uh, feeling very much like Oliver Twist. <laughs> and they, you know, they helped me. And I was so fortunate to have that love and support, and I'm so thankful for that. Um, but so, here's where I was going with all this. Over the course of, like, that first two years, like, I had to use money to call people, and that's very costly. Uh, I had used money to feed myself because the uh, prison system and jail pr systems do not feed you enough to sustain yourself and definitely nothing to, you know, improve your health in any way. Like I know it's not a luxury facility. I get it, but they're all basic amenities that can be provided. Like, I don't know, even a vitamin daily multivitamin that could have been cool. I ended up thankfully being able to buy that in prison. But anyway, so the point was, I would save just a tiny, the tiniest fraction of money each time. Like if I had $5 to spend, I would maybe save like a quarter or 50 cents and just do that over the course of two years to where I, you know, had, I think at that point, maybe like $200 because I knew when I went to prison, I would need like a lot of money at the same time to just like buy stuff because you needed to get set up when you go to prison. You need shower shoes. They don't provide that. So you're either walking on semen encrusted floors or black mold filled drainage. So you either got that or you wear sh uh, sandwich bags on your feet like I did for the first, you know, a couple weeks. But you need to buy shower slippers. You need to buy like razors. You need to buy, uh, a toothbrush that wasn't like awful that would rip your gums to shreds like scraping barnacles off of a ship uh, you need to buy shampoo because they don't provide shampoo you need to buy basically at least all the little stuff like everything you could possibly think of you need to buy toilet paper guess what they only give you a very small amount of toilet paper so use each square or buy a couple back rolls which god you better not have a bad night. You better not like have that taco night 
which everyone does. You got to think. So this is a crazy aside. We're getting way off topic here, but we're having fun, I hope. Keep in mind, every one of us, if we're eating, like say we're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we're all on the same fucking time schedule for eating because we're scheduled, we're routined, and we're all on the same dietary, like, meal. So we all have the exact same meal at the same time every single day. And those are of varying quality. So you have, like, say, enchilada night, and goddamn, there you go. <laughs> Everyone's dying at the same time from enchilada night. Just wanted to bring that up. Super dumb thing that I noticed over the course of five years. It was horrible. Anyway, let's get back to camp. Let's talk about that, I guess, right? So getting to camp, I, there was like more luxury items that you could get there. Like I, by this point, I had a, a little alarm clock because I needed to wake up and, uh, you know, know the time schedules and whatnot because I already am the worst insomniac type sleeper. Um, but after being so exhausted from all those years of like, awaiting trial you know getting maybe one to two hours of sleep in just a madhouse um i slept a little better but it was still also like that on edge uneasy sleep so fitful restless um so i bought an alarm clock just so i could establish more routine and also be ready for things because you did have to be out at the yard and you had to be present uh you know because i'm with the white race good for me uh, so, uh, anyway, I also got like a little radio. These things were like, like 10 and $20, like tiny little things, but they helped, they helped a lot. But then you, if you have radios, you got to buy batteries and those things fucking die super fast and they're 33 cents each. Uh, so I invested a lot of money in like stamps, uh, envelopes. It was for me, better to do correspondence by writing letters because it was cheaper and I could take more time out of my day because I had all the time in the world. So writing to me was a pastime. Like I did a lot of creative writing. I was able to write two books, literally by hand, um, hundreds of letters. I'll get into that later. And that's, uh, again, camp was something where I established my pen pals. Um, I... <laughs> You know, saved up more money because I got a the firefighting position and you actually got paid a dollar an hour when you went on fires. And sometimes you're dispatched a couple weeks on fires so you could get a good chunk of money as far as prison standards goes, you know, get a couple hundred bucks. And then, you know, you could use that for a lot of people just dumped that into food. Um, I eventually was able to buy a TV after my first fire, which was cool because like I said, I'd saved a couple hundred dollars. Um, and then my cousin, like after my aunt had passed away, my cousin helped. He put, you know, he, uh, there was life insurance from that. I was able to extend a little more, like everything. And they, and don't get me wrong either. Like they also contributed their own money in helping me and probably would have gladly given me more. Um, probably if they'd known, like I was kind of squirreling away this little fund, but it's because I didn't want to be like, hey, can I have a TV? Hey, can I have this? I They would have gotten the logical idea of it. Like a TV was $360, probably plus tax. I don't even fucking know. Um, and then you had to buy headphones because you weren't allowed to have your TV uh, like loud. 
so you couldn't either couldn't hear it or you had to have headphones and then you had to buy uh an extender because your headphones wouldn't reach if you were lying down in bed uh and then you also had to buy other things to make an antenna uh which they confiscated because you weren't allowed to modify things into making an antenna but you got shitty cable service any hoozle you like that's a luxury item sure but also when you're sitting down for maybe three to four more years of just staring at walls having you know just something where you can look forward to maybe one or two shows a week or maybe catch a movie that might be on one of the cable channels that does work like that's big that's huge for your mental state of mind just like your sanity uh so you know they got it they helped out uh and they would have understood if i had just explained but again pride uh stands in my way (laughs) it's super annoying I hope they're listening to this because, like, I have such an annoying perspective on myself because I recognize these things. And that's why I thankfully was able to be humble in prison. But it's still, like, annoying. You know, you recognize your own faults and you try to push past them as much as you can and change as much as you can in hopefully positive ways. But, like, when you look at yourself, sometimes you're like, wow, I'm so dumb. I hate that. And, I mean, we are who we are. So, good luck to you on your stuff, too. Now, we're getting a little long here, so I'm going to end with a hopefully crazy, fun, terrible story. So, uh, what else about camp? Like, So, camp, they also had, uh, like, the ranch where you had a dairy farm, which, by the way, we got fresh milk every morning for breakfast, and we got real cereal for breakfast, finally. So, like, camp standards, big improvement. The food quality, huge improvement over prison. It wasn't, like, amazing, but it was way better. And quite a bit of the ingredients were, like, more real ingredients to a degree. Like, I mean, they – it seemed like on the lunch side they started doing cuts because we get, like, little tiny sack lunches still. But breakfast was usually pretty good, and then uh, dinner was pretty good. Like, I usually didn't have to snack or just eat an an additional meal or two through either ramen or whatever – uh, usually they sold a lot of desserts like candy bars and pastries and whatever, uh, very unhealthy stuff. But of course they're going to be pushing those types of things. Like they're not selling deli sandwiches, which would have been great. Um, and weirdly at camp, they did have, um, I guess the commissary store was also higher quality cause, uh, there was an actual store there. It was attached to the gym and a woman would show up, um, I think she was there actually five days a week. Uh, but they rotated it depending on which unit you were in. Like certain units would get their store certain days and you could pick up appliances on certain days too. And appliance usually took uh, quite a bit of time but not as long as what I heard in prison. I didn't want to lose any of my stuff in transit and I didn't really know how long I would be at any one place. And since paperwork took so long, I just waited till camp till I got... Um, a few of my more important items, like uh, like the TV, that was a a big one, and then I got a I couldn't get like a music player, so I just pretty much stuck with the radio, and I got better headphones or whatever. But so let's end on this little uh, this little story here. I was in the first cube uh, in the third unit, 
And I always liked number three. For some reason, I found that number to be super lucky. And when I first arrived at camp, there was a dog, there was a cat. I ended up petting the cat because it was inside. The dog was kind of skittish, but you know, everything was, it's just such an improvement. So, so much better. Like I, I'd seen fights in jail. I'd seen, uh, some fucked up stuff in jail. I didn't really see anything in prison. Like, um, a couple little fights, you know, scuffles, whatever. Uh, but nothing like super insane. Didn't see anything too, too crazy in a uh, prison. You know, got extorted a little bit. That was fun. Uh, got pressed a little bit by, uh, you know, one of the white guys. But that all, like, resolved itself. Everything was cool within, like, the same day. So I didn't see anything too, too crazy. So I'm getting to camp. I'm like, dude, I got through the worst. I got through the worst. This is this is ideal. I can, I can do this. Like, I'll just, I'll get assigned my job. I can get through the rest of this, like, two and a half years to hopefully go to a uh, the halfway house now, or maybe even on house arrest, maybe. So I had an incredibly positive mindset. And, uh, you know, it was early morning, it's like 730 in the morning. And I go to the bathroom, and the bathroom's like all open. Uh, there's thankfully like kind of little dividers. Um, everything's still incredibly open, like most people can see everything. But at least it's slightly improved over um, one prison because you're sharing a cell. So you got the toilet where you're facing the bunk beds, which is kind of fucking crazy. So usually if someone has to take a shit, you just tell the other person and they will usually roll over and cover their head with a blanket because they don't want to smell you. And then you got to listen to all the terrible stuff, but any hoozle. Oh, and they only let you flush the toilet, uh, depending on which like area you were in, uh, like every 15 minutes. I thought that was fucked up too. Uh, so camp improvement, bathroom's a little better. I go in there, lights are off for some reason, but they the lights were actually controlled by a light switch that we had access to, and we weren't allowed to turn it off. That light was always supposed to be on, um, even at nighttime. But so the light's off. I don't really know any better. It's like day three or whatever, and... I'm like washing my hands and I look over and there's a dude wearing a fucking ski mask. And it was like sh so shockingly scary because he's just like in the darkness looking at me that I don't really register anything. Like I don't even fucking react. <laughs> so I just like turn off the water, finish my washing my hands and I kind of just walk away and go back to my bed. And then I see three guys in ski masks rush into the cube next to me across from me. So just across, I'm in cube one, they would be in cube two, just across. These three guys in ski masks rush over to the middle bottom bunk and two of the guys, one on each side, hold down the blanket that's there. And the third guy starts stabbing the dude that's sleeping there. Of course, this man starts screaming bloody murder, um, and I just kind of keep trying to, like, look really, like, furiously at the book that I'm pretending to read, just like, this is not fucking happening, I see nothing here, because I'm not, I'm, one, I'm not going to intervene, I have no fucking clue who these people are, and I know it's three on one, and clearly one of them has a knife, I'm not doing anything, no one's doing anything, everyone around us is deaf and dumb and blind at this point. 
So he gets stabbed, I have no idea, 30 plus times. And it's not like, visually speaking, it's not like a knife. It's not a kitchen knife. It's not a butcher knife. It's what looks like just a tiny two to three inch piece of metal just going in and out. Like poke, 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 poke. And the guy, they scatter. Like eventually the ski mask guys, they just poof, disappear, gone. Go off in all different directions. Because, again, I stylized these as military barracks. Well, there's windows, so there's escape routes everywhere. We're not supposed to open the windows, but you can. I mean, most of them, it's an older facility at this point. Most stuff has either been broken and repaired a dozen times over, or the people who are with the business know the tricks of the trade all around the place. Like, that stuff is just passed down generation, <laughs> generationally to all the new gang members. Um, and plus, there's a front and back exit, which serve as one, the entrance, and then technically the other one's a fire escape, which um, a lot of people will hide there and smoke their cigarettes just outside. Yeah, tons of cigarettes that blew my mind. Like, first day, everyone's like at night yard just smoking cigarettes everywhere they can, like pretending to blow smoke, trying to do it before the COs do their walkthrough, etc. The yard would get locked down a million times because the COs would smell the smoke and then we would just not get to go outside. Happened almost every other day um, until, unfortunately, police uh, people started policing their own uh, because they wanted to get some yard time. They wanted to speak on the phones. Uh, so people were just getting beaten up, rolled out, <laughs> Uh, so we could, you know, do our thing. There's a line of respect that needs to go both ways. So I weirdly see uh, the the physical enforcing side of things like a necessity in that situation. And wouldn't you just like to slap somebody sometimes? Like, you know, you would. There's always one person that you would love to. You can't do it. I'm not saying go do it. But there's always one person. Even if it's just to knock some sense into them. Where do you think that stupid phrase comes from? So anyway, this dude gets stabbed like a lot. And he goes like just slip sliding, running towards the CO's office, just leaving a trail of smeary blood trails and droplets. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. I can't even believe that just happened. I, I didn't see faces, but now I'm, like, scared to death because, like, Masked Man looked right at me. But, you know, I didn't acknowledge him. Maybe it's just one of those things. We'll see how it goes. We will see how it goes. Um, and inevitably, like, one minute after that dude ran out of the uh, unit, you hear, yard lockdown, recall to your units, <laughs> yard lockdown, everybody return to your bunks. Uh, so the one, they were going to do a health and wear, welfare count. They were going to make sure that one, we were all there. Uh, they were going to check knuckles, check damage, see if anybody else had been in this altercation. They were going to do a full shakedown, sweep the entire yard, which of course they did. Um, and then they uh, did their due diligence process of seeing like who the victim was. I, he was okay from what I understand. And the backstory, I guess, was uh, specific to his race. I won't say what it doesn't really matter but specific to his race other members of his race that were in a certain gang felt that since he was also running drugs through the yard which wow i didn't know that uh but now i do that since he was running drugs through the yard he owed them a cut like a percentage of what he was selling and he said no so they were like well we're gonna stab you and they did 
and then that was it. There, I mean, no, they weren't getting drugs from him anymore. No one was either. And because of his uh, race and gang affiliation, they just rolled up like every other person that had that gang affiliation just to kind of reduce the numbers because they couldn't exactly figure out who it was. So they just did that. They just shuffled him off, kicked him out of camp. Goodbye. And that's like the first fucking week. This is like day three or four. And now I'm like, I always had fears at the back of my mind. Like I wouldn't do something wrong, because, but because somebody else did something wrong, I could be affected. Like, okay, sure. Maybe some of those guys had gang affiliations. So in the past, like they, you know, whatever, maybe they had the tattoos or maybe they still ran with that gang, but they didn't do anything wrong. And now they've just been, they lost their camp job and maybe in camp position and get sent somewhere else. Now, of course, the argument could be made like, well, they deserve that. I get that. And in essence, I humbly agree that I would also deserve whatever the outcome is because whatever got me in there, i.e. my accident I just have to accept the consequences of that. And I did. Doesn't mean I wasn't going to worry about it, though. That just kind of happenstance, apropos type thing could have very easily happened to me. And spoiler alert, I don't know. We'll see, right? No, I'm not going to spoil it. There's going to be future episodes. And that's where we're going to jump off. Thank you so much for joining me on my first week. We only made it to day four, so I'll jump back in on the next episode on the pickup there. So tune in next week. Wednesdays are new episodes. Again, like, share, subscribe. But thank you for joining me on The Road Less Traveled. Take care, guys.